Well, it's good to be with you. Um, I've been asked to lead our church's work, our collective work, in planting a new church in Oregon City, and so it's fun to kind of hop around and see everybody again um, from this view, and it's just a delight to be with you this morning. This morning, we conclude our mini-series on the spiritual dynamic of New Life Church, which is outlined for you in this booklet. If you haven't received one, there are some out on the table behind you. And you may turn through the pages here and see a few things you agree with. The gospel is at the center. That sounds good. The gospel produces personal change. Yeah, I believe that. The gospel creates community. It does. The gospel sends us into service. Sure. But when you turn the page here, the gospel moves us to mission. Our response might be a little different. Yeah, I got a little work to do, perhaps, in that. Or, yeah, I got to try harder to do better and do more. And if you're like me, you're tempted to think those kinds of thoughts, the do more, try harder, be better thoughts, at every point in life as a Christian, in parenting, do more, try harder, be better, in a relationships, do more, try harder, be better, and on and on throughout life. That is a human dynamic. In fact, there's a name for that human dynamic. It's called behavior modification. If you could fix yourself, do it. And it lacks the dynamism, the power that is, to actually produce in you the change that you want to see, to bear any real fruit in your life. That human dynamic is rooted in unbelief that we really, truly are a new creation, fully alive people in Christ. It's rooted in the do, do, do of religion as opposed to the done of the gospel. We don't actually believe those words we just sang, that all I have is Christ, we have a lot of the things I have is Christ, and then a little bit of my own bootstrap strength. And our human dynamic is powerless, fruitless, and exhausting. When the Apostle Paul writes his letter to the Romans, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. He is speaking not of a human dynamic, but of a spiritual dynamic, real, genuine power for living, for getting saved, and living life as a saved person. Now, you could summarize the spiritual dynamic then here at New Life Church in this way. Constant belief in the gospel produces the change in our own lives, the change in our church, and the change in the world that we hope for. Constant belief in the gospel, never moving on, never moving beyond, always coming back to the gospel, produces this in us. And this morning, as we talk about being missionaries, the big idea is this. The love of Christ instantaneously creates 
and perpetually controls a new people who live as missionaries. We'll go back. The love of Christ at one moment, in one instant, creates a new people, and it controls them forever as they live and engage as missionaries. The link between these two ideas, the the creation and then the control, is that trusting in Christ in one moment creates a categorically new person, someone who is in Christ as they turn to Him for salvation. But ongoing faith in Christ, that we are loved by Him, controls us and produces in us the kind of life we hope for. So we need more than just a one-time cognitive agreement that we are loved by Christ. We need an ongoing, abiding faith, knowledge, trust, dependence that we are loved by Christ. It is this ongoing delight in Christ's love that controls us and bears fruit in our lives and in the world as we engage as missionaries. And that is what we mean by our spiritual dynamic here at New Life Church. Now, I want you to see that lived out, fleshed out from the Scripture. So, would you please open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, which Lene read just a moment ago, and I will begin reading in verse 14. 2 Corinthians is a letter written to the Corinthian church by the Apostle Paul, and it's about 90% of the way through your Bible, or about 30 thumb scrolls if you're on the digital Bible this morning. You'll get there eventually. And would you follow along with me, beginning in verse 14? For the love of Christ controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Those first words matter. The love of Christ. You are loved by Christ. You can't hear it enough. I can't overstate it. His love for you is without limit, without condition. Now, you might have been tempted to read that first line in verse 14, the love of Christ controls us as though it is Our love for Christ, which controls us. Because we do have a a proclivity toward thinking that way about how Christian life works. But the Greek grammar leaves us no option to, to consider that it is actually Christ's love for us, which controls us. And so I need to remind you again. And this is what the Apostle Paul does here. How do you know that Christ loves you? 
how can you be sure? Look at verse, the end of verse 14 and 15. Because we have concluded this, one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Let me remind you why this little scene in the story of the cross and the resurrection is so significant. In the beginning, we'll start the story there, God created his heart overflowing with love. He created humans to walk with Him, to enjoy peace with Him, and to delight in His love. This is how life was meant to be lived. But, you know that's not how it is lived. The first humans, Adam and Eve, believed the serpent's lie that God did not love them. And they disobeyed God, rejecting Him, breaking the relationship that they were designed to enjoy with Him. The consequence of their disobedience was that they would surely die. In fact, every fabric and fiber of creation broke with sin. Now, the Old Testament, okay, so we're going to speed read here. The Old Testament the rest of this part of your Bible, tells the story of a God abounding in steadfast love for people who have rejected Him and His advances time and time again, making pledge after pledge on page after page to them, wooing them back to delight in His love again. And when we turn the page from the Old Testament into the New, we're introduced to a new character in the story the son of Adam, the son of Abraham, the son of David, the son of God, Jesus. The long-awaited Savior, the one God has promised since the beginning, the one who would pay the penalty for sin so that humans could once again enjoy the love of God as they were designed to. For God so loved the world that He sent His only Son, that whoever believes in Him would not perish, but have everlasting life. And God demonstrates His love for us in this, that while we were His enemies, Christ died for us. Jesus lived the sinless life we were unable to live, rightly connected to God. He died the death that we, for our sin, deserved to die. And He rose again, crushing the head of the serpent and offering now new life. Life as it was meant to be lived, a recreated life in right relationship to God. He is the one who died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. He is, in this sense, a new and greater Adam. The first Adam sinned, and all of his children inherit sin and its consequences. The second Adam did not sin, but he died and rose again, and all of his children inherit life through faith in Him. And the story ends, I have, to, I have to go to the end of the story, with a new creation, everything made new again. The earth populated by this 
new group of people that have been instantaneously created and controlled by the love of Christ. And all is again, in the end, as it should be. Tim Keller summarizes this story. This is the story of the Bible. This is the gospel, the story of good news. He summarizes the story this way. We are far worse than we could ever imagine and far more loved than we could dare to dream. Have you stopped to consider why it is that God loves you? Have you thought about that? You probably think about it subconsciously all the time. Why is it that Christ would love you? The Jesus Storybook Bible uh, for Children attempts to answer this question on its first page. It says, we were lovely because he loved us. It was the uncaused love of God that caused him to send his son for you. And it was the undying love of Christ that led him to die in your place. And this changes Everything, absolutely everything. Now, the Apostle Paul says, One has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Along with this identity transformation of being loved by Christ is now a, a purpose transformation. You live for something different. It changes every part of life. Now, when he speaks of all in verse 14 and 15, he is speaking of all people. This invitation, Jesus' death, is for and on behalf of all people. But don't speed read here. You might be able to, to recognize, yes, Jesus died for me. And that's a really good question to ask. Did he die for you? The second question is more significant, and he alludes to it here. Did he rise for you? We're introduced to a new category of people. No longer is the follower of Jesus, the, the one who believes and knows they are loved by Christ and experiences that, no longer are they simply labeled among the all which Christ died for. No, there's a new category here. Those who live. All have died, but there are some who live and are made alive. The love of Christ revealed in the gospel in one moment creates a new people. And this new people have a new purpose. They are to now no longer live for themselves, but for Him. You died to yourself with Christ. You rise in Him to live for Him. And I suppose this begs a question. Do you want to live for Christ? Do you want to? 
Or do you want to continue living for yourself? Because if you want to live for Christ, then what should you do next? Where do you get started? Let's get to work on living for Christ. Let's do great things for God. Or if you want to live for yourself, then what is it? What is that first spark that will transform even the desire center to where you would want to live for Christ? Well, look back at the beginning of verse 14. The love of Christ controls us. This is why this is our spiritual dynamic, because it is, in one moment, the love of Christ that transforms and awakens us to the reality of His love. It awakens us to a new life. It creates us, creates for us a new life and a new purpose. And it is the same love that then informs how you live that life that was just created. It controls us. The love of Christ, it instantaneously transforms our identity and it perpetually controls our activity. What does it mean that the love of Christ controls us? How does that word make you feel? The love of Christ controls Now, your translation might say the love of Christ compels us or constrains us. And really, in this sense, the, the word is, is, is communicating that the love of Christ holds it together. It holds us together. It keeps us in the right place. Both negatively, it restrains us from doing what we shouldn't do, and it constrains us to do what we should do. It holds us together. You could think about it like the banks of a river or the lanes of the road you drove to get here or your belt on Thanksgiving. It is designed to hold things in their proper place, rightly related to God, rightly related to the world, rightly alive. We have to admit, though, it is so easy to be controlled by something, anything other than the love of Christ. Controlled by a peculiar doctrine or dogma, controlled by your schedule, controlled by your money, controlled by your family, controlled by a tradition, controlled by a political allegiance, we are so easily tempted to forget that we are loved by Christ. And the reality that we are introduced to here is that we will never move beyond our need to know we are loved by Christ. Power for the Christian life begins there. Power for the Christian life stays there, anchored and rooted in the love of Christ. Now, as Paul continues, he illustrates for us what it looks like when the love of Christ controls us. And he gives us an example. He notes one specific shift. Look at verse 16. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. 
For example, one of the things that changes when you are controlled by the love of Christ is your eyes are transformed to see people the way Christ sees people. It was the love of Christ that led him to die for all. And so we see all as people Christ died for. When was the last time uh, you went people watching? It's like the creepy cousin of bird watching, but I don't know when the last time or, or the scenario or the, the context. But as you looked out and people were walking by, you probably saw some funny hairstyles, maybe some crazy t-shirts, maybe some peculiar parenting methods. Maybe you saw someone that was really tall or had a beautiful smile. People watching is a wonderful thing, <laughs> but it is a great temptation to view people according to the flesh, because all you can see is all you can know. So I see their outward appearance, and that's what I conclude about them. But it, at the same time is this opportunity to practice seeing people how Jesus would see people. Sure, they've got uh, dark skin or light skin. Sure, they've got a t-shirt on or a dress on. Sure, there are the outward indicators, but they are a part of the all whom Christ died for. They are a part of the all who are loved by Christ. And so, for the, the Christian, for this, this new creature, our eyes are transformed too. And he illustrates the inconsistency of having a heart that has been made alive and an outward, uh, the eyes that have not. He says, we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, but we regard Him thus no longer. Why is that? Because our eyes have been opened to see Him as He really is. The long-awaited Messiah, the God-man whose death and resurrection change everything. Yes, he's a good teacher, but he's much more than that. And that is the transformation that has occurred in the way that we, as a new creation, as missionaries, view all people. Yes, black or white, male or female, rich or poor, Republican or Democrat, but they are also much more than that. We've been made alive to see people as they really are, created in the image of God, loved by Him with dignity, value, and worth. Moreover, it's not merely our eyes that got changed, but our whole being. The transformation that occurs in the life of the Christian is holistic. There's not a part of life that's left untouched. Look at verse 17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. <clears throat> Listen to this, these identity statements. In Christ... If you are in Him, found in Him, you are a new creation. 
You were once in Adam, dead, and now you are in Christ, alive. And when Paul speaks of a new creation, he's speaking about more than merely a new creature. Like in, in like a pile of broken toys, you kind of got enough tape on one that you could call it a new toy. No, this is more than just old people who no longer have their hurts, habits, and hang-ups. It's, it's actually that there is a new, a new person that is created, set apart for, I concluded the story with it a moment ago, the new creation. You, you, your old identity as an enemy of God has been transformed. You're now a citizen of the kingdom of Jesus, a member of His family. And you're now a citizen of this kingdom, this new creation that is coming. It is breaking in, and it will come in full. You are set apart as a new creation for the new creation. You belong, you could say, to the new creation. And as such, you no longer live for yourself. You live to Christ. You belong to a new kingdom. You follow a new king. Your eyes have been transformed. Moreover, your whole life has been recreated. And it is in this sense, then, that the love of Christ, at the beginning, instantaneously created that new, per that new person and perpetually controls them as they follow Him. Well, the Apostle Paul turns to explain further what these new people who are controlled by the love of Christ do. We used to live for ourselves, and now we live for Him. What does that look like? Look with me at verse 18 and following. All this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of of Christ be reconciled to God. The love of Christ instantaneously creates a new people and it controls this new people who now engage as missionaries. There are two key identities that are introduced here. The first is that this new creation, this new people are reconciled reconcilers. There's a hyphen between that. It's not one long word. There's a hyphen. Reconciled. They've been reconciled to God, and they are reconcilers of others to God. The second identity is that they are ambassadors for Christ. So let's consider those in turn. First, this new people are reconciled reconcilers. You have to pause and consider how precious this thought is. All of this is from God, 
who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. All of it is from God. You showed up with nothing. You showed up as an enemy of God. We needed not merely behavior modification. We needed an identity transformation, and He's done it. No longer are we enemies of God, alienated from God, separated from God. We are connected to Him, reconciled to Him through Christ. And in that reality, we live. Now, previously, it was, as, it was the love of Christ which controls us. Now, turn, this, turn the jewel a little bit more and see this angle. You have been reconciled to God and given the ministry of reconciliation. The same love that, that saves you, controls you, the same reconciliation you experience with God now becomes your ministry, your work in the world. And so, you'll never move beyond the reality, you've been reconciled. Paul explains this connection between being reconciled and reconciling further in verse 19. He says, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Notice a couple of things. First, God accomplishes for people, for us, what we were unwilling and unable to do for ourselves. God was reconciling the world to Himself. Now, you might be tempted to think, now the reconcilers are going to reconcile the world to God. That would be a temptation. Because God started it. God's reconciling the world to Himself. God is going to continue reconciling the world to Himself. And you simply get to participate in His work. Now, it means two things. He has done it. He does not count our trespasses against us. Now, this is good news that your sin has not been counted against you. I want that part of being a reconciled reconciler. I really want that part. That God would, would choose to live at peace with me, that He would not count my sin against me. That no longer would I need to live in an attempt to somehow assuage His anger. But there's a second part, isn't there? and entrusting the message of reconciliation. Those are not an either-or. You don't get to pick one. You get them both. You can be reconciled to God, and He will not count your trespass against you. And guess what? He will enlist you in the same work that brought you in for others. And you don't get to choose. And so because of this, there's, there's a, couple, a couple pieces that now reconciled reconcilers, those people who've been made at peace with God through Christ, now as they engage in the world, there's a couple things that they are engaged doing, okay? It's identity change. These are the behaviors that come out of that identity reality. 
The first is, this people pray. Because it is God who is reconciling the world. And so they pray, God, would you do this for others? The second is, it says, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. And so this people now preach Christ and Christ alone. No other name by which you may be saved. No other gimmick. No other sales pitch. Just Christ and Christ alone. There is no reconciliation apart from the cross. So there's no message of reconciliation without a cross. So this new, this new creation is reconciled to God, aligned with Him, yes, once, and ongoing, as we are co-laborers, co-workers with the work that God has already been doing. We're reconciled reconcilers as a new creation. The second description of this new creation identity might make things more explicit. Look at verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making His appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. The second identity of this new creation is that they are ambassadors. Ambassadors for Christ. There are at least three implications of what it means to be an ambassador. Which is true of every ambassador. The first is we are sent by the King. The reality of being an ambassador is that you don't live in your home country. You live in a foreign country. Implicit in the concept of being an ambassador is going. An ambassador doesn't stay at home, but receives an order, an assignment, and goes. Now, Jesus, as the king, gave this assignment in Matthew 28 when he says, All authority in heaven and on earth belongs to me. Okay, that is someone claiming supreme rule and kingship. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And he sends his followers as ambassadors to every nation. Because the word in that assignment, go, is not imperative, it's not the thing you do, it's actually descriptive of making disciples. It is an uh, an ongoing going. Everywhere you go, as you go, you are a reconciled reconciler. You're an ambassador for the king. The second implication, we're sent by the king. The second is, we submit to the king. Now, what controls us? The love of Christ. Who do we live for? For him who for our sake died and was raised. Who gave us this position? All this is from God. We are exclusively about the king's message and the king's work. We're not about our work or our message. There's no part of life as a new creation that we somehow get to hold the reins on. Our whole life belongs to Him. Our home, our yard, our pantry, our calendar, our budget belong to Him.
We're sent by the king. We submit to the king. We represent the king is the third implication. Now, a beautiful thing happens here, and I've alluded to it already. But the message of reconciliation is precisely the work that God has been doing throughout history. As we engage others, we are partnering with God. Verse 20 says that God makes His appeal through us. Chapter 6 opens with this beautiful phrase, working together with Him then. This is not some activity then that you're to get busy doing. Do more, try harder, be better. This is an identity that just bears fruit in your life. You can't not represent Christ. Now, lest you think you're going to get to work doing ambassador-type things in your own power, right here at the end of chapter 5, we're given another dose of the antidote to our human dynamic. Another dose of the breathtaking good news that keeps us abiding in the love of Christ which controls us and has reconciled. For our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in Him we might become the righteousness of God. The means by which you were reconciled to God was that God gave to Christ something that was not His, your sin and in turn gave to you something that was not yours, Christ's righteousness, His perfection. Consider the immense kindness of God and the immeasurable love of Christ for you. You've not only had your sin removed, you've been given the perfection of Jesus, all the rights and privileges of being God's child. You have been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of His beloved Son. You once were dead and you've been made alive. You once were a slave and an orphan and now you are a child. You once were without God and without hope in the world, but Christ appeared. All of it's from God. It changes everything. How could it not control you? How could you not live for Him instead of for yourself? How could you not represent Him as an ambassador in the world? How could you not implore your friends and family to be reconciled to God? I'm sure you're now wondering what to do. After all, this sermon is supposed to help us live as better missionaries. So here are four things that will help you be a better missionary, okay? Write them down and do them. First, 
You are loved by Christ. Second, you are a new creation. Third, you are reconciled to God. Fourth, you are an ambassador for Christ. The application is not to do more and try harder and be better at being a missionary. The application is to apply the gospel to your own life, to to let the love of Christ, to so know it and soak in it and, and bathe in it and saturate in it that it now changes the way you live, that it controls you. So your assignment is not to get doing, but to get being. Lean into these identities. Try them on for size. See how they feel. Walk around in them for a couple days. Write a review. Rejoice in them. And you know what? You're going to have some roadblocks. You're going to have some challenges, some things that maybe make life as an ambassador hard in your neighborhood. And guess what? That's what the kingdom initiative is for. That's about where it sits in the life of the church. If you're not familiar, you can go to the Sunday Hub and you will see a button that says subscribe to the kingdom initiative. And this is just a list of ideas to serve you, to help you get started, to help you find your way as an ambassador in your neighborhood or family. But I do believe, we do believe, it is our spiritual dynamic after all, that as you grow into your identity as someone who is instantaneously alive in Christ, loved by Him, you will find yourself controlled by the love of Christ fully alive as a new creation, partnering with God and reconciling others as His ambassador. So would you join me as we pray? Heavenly Father, we rejoice this morning that we are a new creation and are in Christ. We delight in your love and praise you for all that you have done to reconcile us to yourself at unspeakable cost. Now empower us. Spirit, bear gospel fruit in our lives as we engage others with this message of reconciliation We need your help to live as ambassadors. We need your wisdom and discernment to know what words to say and actions to take. We need your love to control us. And so we pray this, admitting our need for your help today, admitting it tomorrow, admitting that we will need your help for the rest of our life and that we can never move beyond our need to be loved by you. In Jesus' name, amen.